You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, hey, friend. Just a heads up, this episode may not be safe for work. We're going to be talking a lot about boobies, piercings, and other naughty bits, so listener discretion is advised. But I know that you're a little rebel, and I'm sure you have headphones, so I won't tell your boss that you're listening to this while there's a Zoom meeting going on. If you don't, go ahead, live a little. I'm TK, your guide to the past as we uncover the people, events, and little-known facts hidden in the shadows of your old history textbooks. From empress baddies to activist profiles, turkey gods and the history of the toothbrush, tattoos, Pompeii peepees, and everything in between, you can find it all here. There's no telling how far we'll dig or how many historical facts we'll re-examine. No event is too small and no topic is too big because this is for the love of history. Hello, 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 my friend. It's TK, your tour guide to the past, and you are listening to For the Love of History, the podcast where we talk about world history, women's history, and weird history. Today, we are walking on the weird side with episode 39, Victorian Nipple Rings. First off, sorry about my voice. I caught a little bit of a cold this week, so that's why we have raspy, little bit sultry TK voice going on. So don't worry, it's still me, just with a cold. (laughs) So, episode 39, Victorian Nipple Rings. This sounds like a complete impossibility, right? Weren't Victorian people all buttoned up and straight-laced? Nay, nay, I say, they were just as a freaky, if not more so, than people today. So hold on to your nipples if you got them, friend, and let's get started. When someone says Victorian era, what do you think of? For me, I can't help but imagine that painting of Queen Victoria looking very grumpy with a gorgeous tiara and veil combo. And I always wonder how someone can be that grumpy when they're wearing such a beautiful tiara. Wonders never cease. But anyways, it's hard to imagine an era with a nipple ring trend during that lady's reign. Victorian people are often given a bad rap of hyper-conservatism and being incredibly prudish and not fun at all. But really, that's not 100% true. Yes, people were sort of reserved, but this was also an era of gambling, drinking, burlesque shows, and erotica. Filthy, filthy erotica. Like Fifty Shades of Grey who... Shit be erotic. <laughs> and at this point, I have to come clean to you, my friend. We're actually not really going to talk about the UK much today. And I should, in fact, be calling these the Belle Epoque nipple piercings. The Belle Epoque is the French equivalent-ish, kind of, of the Victorian era. 
And France is where the majority of this story takes place. But we're going to continue to call them Victorian nipple piercings, though, because you can also use Victorian to describe a specific type of culture and not only a time period. So let's dive right in. You don't have to look deep into Victorian culture to realize these people were freaky freaky. If you see something old that's also macabre or super sexual, it's probably Victorian. Our story starts in France in the 1400s with none other than the queen, the beautiful Isabella of Bavaria, queen of France. This lady was the epitome of extra. She was the extravagant fashion queen, and she would wear jewel-encrusted gowns and headdresses so elaborate that doorways had to be widened to allow her to pass through. She was also a big fan of cleavage, and I don't know if you can consider this cleavage. Let me know what you think. Let me explain to you. She loved garments of the grand necklines, a style of dress featuring necklines that plunged all the way to the navel, making nipple and breast jewelry a much have. Do we consider that cleavage? Is it cleavage when it's all the way down to your nipple? I don't know. Jury's still out on that one. But because these necklines were just plunging, they were crazy low, jewelry to adorn the nipples and breast became a thing. Because of her extravagance and her love of the plunging neckline, she is believed to have started the piercing trend in the late 14th and early 15th century, which would spread in popularity among aristocratic types, but only for a very short period of time. This trend would be really short-lived and not reach the lives of regular people. Necklines changed again, making booby baubles and nipple bits unnecessary and unseen. But seeing as fashion is cyclical, the neckline to your navel trend came back in the 1800s. Ladies were just one deep breath away from their very own Janet Jackson Super Bowl moment, one stretch away from a surprise visit from the nipple fairy. Some Victorian women also went so far as to show a little bit of tasteful areola. Mmm, chef's kiss, tasteful areola. <laughs> but this go-round of Victorian pledging necklines was a little bit different. So these shiny little nipple rings not only were used to make your naughty bits look good, but they were actually used to show off your status and your nobility. The highborn knew that if they pierced their intimate areas, people would know that they were wealthy. But TK, how? What do boobies have to do with wealth? Great question. I too wondered the same thing. When it came to nipple piercing, it was about having enough money to have proper hygiene to take care of the piercings. You know, if you've ever gone to Claire's to get your ears pierced as a child or a young adult and forgot to clean it for one night, shit turns nasty real fast. And I can only imagine what your nipples would look like if you didn't clean them after a nipple piercing. An atrocity. A horrible, horrible <laughs> horror scene. 
So proper hygiene is a must. When women wore low-cut blouses and dresses to show off their clean and not infected, bedazzled breast, they basically had their wealth on display. Like, ooh, look at my clean titties. Look how wealthy I am. I can bathe regularly and maybe afford soap of some kind to keep these bad boys clean. But ladies weren't the only ones decorating their naughty jelly beans. <laughs> okay, new game. If you're reading uh, reading this, no. If you're listening to this episode and you are in a place where you can uh, drink, I highly recommend that you take a shot every time I use a weird euphemism for nipple and nipple ring. <laughs> Please. Because I think naughty jelly beans just just took the cake it it took me out (laughs) anyways ladies weren't the only ones decorating their naughty jelly beans men also followed the trend and couples piercings became super popular among the nobility and as the trend went on piercing moved to different sensitive places shall we say now Prepare to have your butthole clench because mine did the first time I read this. I, I swear to you. Noble men and women pierced their genitalia in order to demonstrate their monogamy, which was also revered by upper class people at the time. And, oh, okay, get ready for this part. Women sometimes wore a piercing which locked their outer labia together and prevented relations that were external from their marriages as only the husbands had the key to the lock. Oh, my God. (laughs) Don't worry about gender inequality. Men would also adorn expensive piercings to serve as a reminder to themselves and their sexual partners that they were highborn, preventing them from engaging in sexual acts with women who were outside of their social class. Notice, notice it just says outside of their social class, not extramarital affairs. Where is the lady's lock to the special piercing that locks up their penis? I, I don't know how that would work. But somebody should look into that. (laughs) I have no words for what I just told you, honestly. And I know, I know genital piercings are a thing. And I'm so down with other people having them. You get it. You live your life. But piercings as chastity belts? I mean, come on. No. Is this Princess Bride here? I think not, my friend. I think not. But I digress. As the years went on and regular regular people had better access to clean water and hygiene, they were also able to get nipple piercings and other piercings. <laughs> Soon, anyone could obtain a nipple or genital piercing, and they no longer were a distinction between the rich and the poor. The nobles, finding that their piercings no longer embodied their cultural values of superiority discontinued the trend 
leaving it for only the common people who were not wealthy and were not known to be as fiercely monogamous as the upper class, which, questionable, I need some evidence about that. Anyways, this dramatic switch changed the association of the piercings from wealth and monogamy to poverty and sexual promiscuity. When this trend was firmly attached to lower class, air quotes, people, and not nobility, the haters quickly emerged. The number one group of complainers was men of the medical community. Their biggest complaint? Nipple piercings stopped women from performing their main purpose in life. Having and feeding children. The fuck? Our purpose? I want a time machine for the sole purpose of going back in time and choosing violence. Today I choose violence. Anyways, by the late 1800s, nipple piercing had spread from Paris to the UK, all the way to the US, and there were nipple ring haters there too. One brochure by a New York physician complained of young American women going to Europe, specifically Paris, to get piercings, warning that the body art was not only dangerous to one's health, but it encouraged unhealthy sensuality. God forbid women feel sensual. Whew, we gotta nip that in the bud. Another straight-up lie that women were told was that piercing the nipple would lead to cancer, bad blood, madness, loose morals, and all sorts of other ridiculous things. But their false warnings would not be heeded. Booby bobbles and shiny nipple jewelry would persist in popularity and still does today. But I want to make something very clear. The Victorians were not the first people to direct to decorate their nip-nips. Nay, nay. Human beings have been doing it for, like, forever. Since metal was a thing and people could make jewelry, people just liked hanging things on their chest, specifically attached to their nipples. 3,000 years ago in ancient Egypt, high-status women enjoyed covering their nipples with gold paint. Ooh, next time you need to spice things up in the bedroom, go ahead and do that. Just go to Michael's, grab some gold paint. Mm, it'll be great. In Rome... 2,000 years ago, people would decorate nipples with rouge to spice up erotic encounters. So spicy. Pierced nipples started out as a sign of a man's manliness and were worn proudly to symbolize masculinity. Look at my sparkly nipples, how manly I am, <laughs> is, is how I imagine them showing off their nipple piercings. Julius Caesar was even said to have had one of his nipples pierced, which was also a sign of strength in ancient Rome. But it doesn't stop there. Sailors would celebrate crossing a significant latitude or longitude with a single ring. Indigenous North American cultures also practice nipple piercing. Indigenous Texas Karankawa people pierced their nipples with cane. In the mountains of Algeria, nipple piercing is still practiced among the women of the nomadic Kabli tribe. It's believed that pierced nipples are the best nipples. And you know what? I, I agree. But I'm, I'm never going to get 
nipple piercings because I'm a big, fat, scaredy pants. I can do tattoos all day long, put a needle anywhere in my general vicinity, and I lose my mind. I get so scared. It's ridiculous. I can barely make it through vaccinations and, like, flu booster shots and all that stuff. But anyways, as you can see, nipple piercing has been going on for, like, a hell of a long time. And unless natural selection deems them useless, I'm pretty sure we'll keep decorating our tatas with shiny little nipple piercings. So, my dear sweet friend, we have come to our final thought of the day. We only talked about nipple piercings and very briefly about genital piercings, but we we didn't really have time to dive into the amazing underground culture of Victorian piercing and tattoos in general, which would be a super cool episode. And if you're interested in, in that, please let me know. Send me a DM. And because uh, we didn't have time to delve deeply into that subject matter, I wanted to end with a little story about a freaking badass lady and a little bit about the tattoo and piercing community I came across in my research. In the 1800s, there was no Reddit and no forums because, alas, the internet would not be invented for another few hundred years, but people did have these weird Reddit thread-like magazines where people would write back and forth to each other using a number system to keep track. They would, it was basically like a mail-in Reddit thread. One such magazine was called English Mechanic and the World of Silence. And silence, science, English Mechanic and the World of Science. And strangely enough, this is the best primary source that we have of the Victorian world of body modification. Within this magazine, the tattooing and piercing community would ask questions, swap stories, and give advice. One major contributor of the magazine was Madame Beaumont, who is described as a nice, pleasant, middle-aged lady who runs a kind of salon off the Rue de Rivoli, where she does little services for ladies like hair dyeing, nails, corn doctoring, like shaving off the corns of your feet. And she also pierced ears and sometimes other places like nipotles. Nipples, shirt jelly beans, if you will. And P.S. and by the way, the Rue de Rivioli was and still is literally one of the most fashionable streets in the world. It's in Paris, so just FYI, so you know that this place wasn't like a dump somewhere. It was super high fashion. We were not in the back alley, we were on the front street. So in one of the articles, two women named Constantine and Millie were writing about the time that they went and saw Madame Beaumont to get their nipples done. Madame Beaumont had a huge collection of large gold rings specifically for piercing nipples. She sits Constantine and Millie down, who came into the salon, and showed them her own nipples, which were pierced. Her daughter also had pierced nipples, and she also showed Constance and Millie, too, because this was before the internet, and how else were they going to see what it was going to look like? 
you gotta go straight to the source, straight to the nipple. Later articles go on to say that Madame Beaumont invented a set of clamps specifically for nipple piercings. They were kind of like sugar tongs in form, but instead of the little spoons at the ends, um, they were small tubes about one inch long and in a straight line with each other so that they could clamp down the nipple and also create a clear path for the needle to go into. And, uh, you know, that's a really good thing because you don't want a needle poking around in your very sensitive nipples. At least I... I don't think you would. <laughs> so the needle could easily pass through these two tubes and there was no chance of deviating from its proper course, which is what was written in the article. Isn't that cool? It's so much better than the piercing method I read in a Victorian medical journal, which involved string and cloth and squishing the boobies in weird ways and, like, tying them up. I don't know. It was ridiculous. Like, a strange headlock was involved. I'll, I'll link the uh, medical dictionary article in, in the show notes so that you can see that. So... If you ever get your nipples pierced or you have your nipples pierced, maybe give a little shout out, a little thank you to Madame Beaumont and her nipple clamps. Well, that is all, my friend. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. It was really fun and nice to do something lighthearted and a little bit scandalous. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a rating and a review. It helps other people find For the Love of History. And honestly, it makes me ridiculously happy. It is a day maker when I get to read what people think about the podcast. So if you got time to do that, it would make a lady happy <laughs> and if you'd like to support the podcast in other ways you can become a patron on patreon what i upload behind the scenes extra content um and things about japan i send you stickers and postcards and i recently started a cooking in japan series on patreon where you can vote on the japanese dish that me and my husband cook and give you the recipe oh my gosh it's so fun and we do other fun stuff on there too so if you are interested in that and you are able to go check out patreon link in my twitter and instagram bio oh and by the way if you're on instagram go follow for the love of history we do fun stuff on there all the time not just podcast related things so that's all i've got i hope you have a great day i hope you have a great week great weekend whatever you're doing take care of yourself i know i am going to try to get rid of this cold once and for all so that my voice can be back to its regular self for our next episode which is next next week on june 4th episode 40 yasuke the black samurai so i'll see you then bye why is there a metronome right now oh, okay <laughs> <laughs>